Well, friends, we continue on in this, uh, this season of 40 Days of Prayer, and as we're going through this preaching series, uh, I want to thank Pastor Dan for an awesome message last week on repentance, but that really has teed us up well for living a life that is Spirit-empowered. And so today, we're going to look at Spirit Empowerment as the theme uh, for today's sermon. So thank you so much for joining us, and if you would turn with me uh, in the Bible to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 6, and I'm going to read that to you here this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. It says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You know, friends, in this journey with Jesus, uh, one of the greatest struggles in following Jesus is that we're either trying to do it on our own strength and willpower, uh, or we're trying to do it in Jesus's strength and willpower. And so that brings me to our first point today that I want to talk about. Let's talk about for a minute religion and regulation. Religion and regulation are not the same as faith and freedom. And that's where I want to begin today is that the fleshly desire wants a law or a standard that earns or justifies our worth as recipients of God's acceptance. It's hard for us to grasp the fact that what God has done for us is offered to us as a free gift. Um, I think we wind up thinking that we have to earn it or be justified to be worthy of God's acceptance because we're kind of raised with this mindset. Even at a young age, we're trained to think about this, uh, about most things in our life. Like in school, if you work hard, you earn good grades. In sports, if you practice hard, you get to play the field. And those things are rewarding. I think even in um, gym class, when we had this testing in early elementary school, I remember the challenges were, how many push-ups can you do? And if you can do so many push-ups, you, uh, you got a red ribbon as like a second place ribbon. However, if you did the most push-ups, then you got a blue ribbon for first prize. Awesome. Other challenges were like, how many pull-ups can you do? And how long can you hang above a chin-up bar with your chin above the bar, right? And yeah, I know in early elementary school, I was super jacked and real ripped. Uh, and now I take all my notes uh, from Jake Cena. So Jake, thank you so much for teaching me how to get jacked and ripped nowadays. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is that even from a young age, we get this mindset of we earn the rewards that are coming to us. Otherwise, we face consequences and we lose, right? So like in the presence of God, we often have this same mentality that we have to earn our right to have the privilege of being in Christ. But we know this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Man, praise God for that promise. Religion and regulation actually condemn all people under those regulations because they prove our inability to earn the favor of the one who created the law in the first place. Let me say that again. It proves our inability to earn the favor. It's not possible to live sin-free, to live without evil. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what are we falling short from? What, what could we achieve if we were good enough? If we tried with all of our might, soul, mind, and strength to be able to live for God fully, what, what could we do to earn the acceptance of God? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, he actually said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That is a high standard. In fact, it is an impossible standard for us to reach because we are coded and born with sin and we cannot live without evil because it's within us and around us. Our spirit is perpetually defeated and weakened when we submit to the laws of religion and regulation, but we have life and freedom when we submit to following the Holy Spirit in faith. And we know this great promise from 2 Corinthians 3.17. Let me share it with you now. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Which brings us actually to our next point already. Faith and freedom. Friends, faith and freedom come from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually leads us and guides us to live in a certain way that enables us to glorify God. Listen to what Romans 2.2 says. It says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Well, wait a minute. What judgment? What is the judgment on? Okay, let me just back up a little bit and talk about what judgment is falling on. It's falling on those who are unrighteous. Romans 1, just a little bit before this, Romans 1 verses 29 through 32 say this. It says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. These are the things that God's judgment is falling on. And if you look at that list, I'm sure it's not hard to categorize, to categorize yourself and see like, even today, I am guilty of this unrighteousness. And here's what the law of death dictates. The law of death dictates that the wages of sin, or this unrighteousness, is death. The law of death dictates that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us this. The Apostle Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. Here's some good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to take a minute now to just unpack uh, maybe, maybe taking a step in a, a slightly different direction for a moment, unpacking a little bit of the Old Testament system of sacrifice and Christ's sacrificial work on the cross for us, okay? So when Adam and Eve were created, 
uh, they were made perfect in the garden. And God looked at them and said, they were very good. But then when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to, they disobeyed God and sin entered the world. And now there is evil. And so they are banished out of the garden and they are separated from the presence of God um, because of evil and its immediate impact on them and its uh, rippling effect on the world around them. And so as we look in scripture beyond Adam and Eve, how sin uh, impacts the Israelites, um, it, is, it is a broken, messy world. But Israelites were given uh, the right by God, the creator and implementer of the law, to use animal sacrifices to atone for sin. Atonement means to cover someone's debt. And the sprinkling of the blood from the animal that they would use for a sacrifice uh, was a, a symbol. It was an expression of washing away the rippling effects of sin uh, in the community. The blood of the animal represented life, and the sprinkling represented God wiping away indirect consequences of evil in the community. So this, this sprinkling, another biblical word for this could be purification. All this is done uh, so that the temple in the land where the Israelites were dwelling could, be, dwelling could be a clean place for God and his people to dwell together in harmony. They could dwell in peace together. Uh, and this experience enabled the people of God to experience God's love and grace as he dwelt with them. And this was meant to compel the people to walk in love and grace with God and with others. Um, but the practice of the sacrificial system became so habitual and really neglected with lack of heart and passion and authentic repentance, uh, it became basically meaningless, as the prophet Isaiah would describe it. They were allowing great evil in their midst and great injustices were occurring. So there was a prophetic word given from Isaiah and he said, out of the line of David, a king would come and he would die for his people and his life would be offered as a sacrifice. Now we fast forward to Jesus' time and Jesus, the son of God, was this king's sacrifice for his people. In fact, Mark 10, 45 says this, I guess 43 through verse 45, it says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this word ransom and atonement kind of go hand in hand, paying the debt to offer someone freedom. Jesus's life is the atoning sacrifice for us and for our sins. And his blood is the purification, the sprinkling of healing for our world and in our community. When Jesus rose on the third day, he broke the power of death. When Jesus rose on the third day, he broke the power of the law of death. There were no more animal sacrifices that were needed, but he instituted new symbolic rituals. You no longer had to sacrifice animals, but what Jesus instituted was some things to help us remember the work that he did for us on the cross and the empty grave. He gave us baptism, where we practice dunking a believer into the water and raising them up out of the water as a symbol of being dead in Christ and alive in Christ and filled with the Spirit of God. And let me just challenge you, if you're a believer and you have not been baptized yet, this is a great public proclamation of your faith and testifying and saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that he died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave, and that his word, the Bible promises that anyone who calls on his name 
will be saved. That's a great promise. And if you believe that and you have not been baptized, I challenge you to get baptized. Let's have a conversation about taking that step of obedience and faith together. The second symbolic ritual that Jesus gave to us is the Lord's Supper, where we remember his great sacrifice for us, that he gave uh, his body uh, as a sacrifice for us, and his blood washes away our sins. So about once a month, we practice communion together, the Lord's Supper, taking the cup and the bread, or crackers most of the time, and uh, we, we celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us, the great work that he has done for us. Praise the Lord. So that same power, friends, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is given to us. One, so that that power can deal with the evil within our own lives. And two, to enable us to lead lives of grace and peace and love to be an expression of God to our neighbors and our communities. So, this is good news. Let's jump back to Romans chapter 8 just for a minute, okay? And we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, and it says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your first resurrection experience, when you go from being spiritually dead to being in a state of spiritually alive. This new state removes you from the law of death into the law of freedom in Christ. You are free to no longer follow that law. There are several benefits to this new spiritual life. And listen to me. The ability to know and discern the will of God is a powerful thing. And this is one of the benefits of this new spiritual life. The ability to know and discern the will of God and to have an intimate knowledge of his person through the Holy Spirit. We see this promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15 says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this brings me to my last point, friends, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to shift gears to. As I said, we do not need to live under the weight of the law anymore because we have freedom in Christ. And this is great. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit and nurturing of our spiritual life allow us to live an empowered life. Romans 2, 5 through 6 says this, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Living for the flesh has consequences, friends. Will you stand on your works or on the finished work of Christ? Will God look at me and see Seth and all my good works that I have tried to do to earn salvation for myself? No, my hope and my faith is that God will look upon me and see Christ in his good work 
and the Spirit's work in my life through me. Friends, Jesus gives us this promise that if we do not feed our soul with healthy spiritual food, we will become spiritually weak. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we fail to feed the Spirit, we will feed the flesh. A strong spiritual life desires the things of the Spirit and puts to death the desires of the flesh, not by personal will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul writes this, in verse 18 through 24. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is a high calling, and I'm thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit to lead me in this process, because I know I do not have the strength or the goodness enough to live out these things on my own will and volition, but the Spirit of God has the power with the new life of Christ within me to guide me in the steps of righteousness. The primary experiences of the Spirit-filled life are personal peace and participation in the ministry of bringing peace to the world. I want to say this again, because I think we are poised to hear this one more time in this season of our lives. The primary experiences of the Spirit-filled life our personal peace and participation in the ministry of bringing peace to the world. Galatians 5.25 tells us that if we live by the Spirit, this is right after that section of Scripture I just read. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We have an awesome promise of having the Holy Spirit in our lives, friends. We have this promise in Acts 1.8 as well. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this sermon this morning actually reminds me of a time in my life where I felt led by the Holy Spirit. And I want to share that with you because it's a special time to me. And, uh, and I, I just love the story. So when I had my first opportunity to ever preach a sermon at a church. I was actually in Harmons, Jamaica. Um, we have taken three teams over the last couple of years down to Harmons to serve with One by One to Jamaica. And we love Harmons, right? If, you, if you've been to Harmons or you have supported this missions trip, thank you so much for serving the people uh, in Jamaica there. What a blessing that trip is. But uh, it was the summer of 2008 and I was an intern with One by One to Jamaica. And every Sunday we would typically travel uh, to the coast to take the team that had been there for a short-term week-long missions trip. We would take them to the airport on Sunday and we would pick up the new team that same Sunday and bring them back to Harmons. So this meant we typically couldn't uh, formally go to church on most Sundays. But one uh, week in the middle of the summer, 
um, we took a, a break where we had no team. And so we had the opportunity to attend a church in town. So, uh, you know, we got dressed up and we went to church, uh, a small church in Harmons, Jamaica. And um, we're sitting there. There's about eight of us that were interns sitting in a row together. Um, and the, the pastor gets up and he says, all right, my friends, this morning, one of our white brothers or sisters are going to deliver the word of God to us this morning. And I knew, I knew in that very moment that it was going to be me. And there was great affirmation because as I looked down the line of my seven other intern peers, they were all looking at me as well. And I just knew, okay, I'm going to have to preach a sermon this morning. The pastor's going to call up one of us. My team's looking at me. I'm sensing a stirring in my belly to deliver the word. This is awesome. I was very nervous. I was sweating because I was scared, but I knew that God was going to do something awesome. And it just so happened that in that season of my life, I had been dwelling in the book of Colossians a lot. In fact, Colossians might have been the first book that I really dug into as a young believer. And Colossians chapter 3 had been heavy on my heart in that season of my life. And it actually talks about putting to death the old self and putting on the new self, which is exactly what we're talking about here today. And so, so I get up to deliver a message completely unprepared, but I had my Bible with me and I knew that Colossians was important to me and that God was working through it. And it was important for the body of Christ to hear. So I picked up Colossians chapter three and I delivered it. And it talks about putting on the new self. So as we talking about living out a spirit empowered life, Listen to this, friends, as, a, as an act and a step of what does it look for me to take some steps of living in the Spirit? Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 uh, says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the Lord, I'm sorry, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so then you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Listen to this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, may that be a blessing to you as you pursue living a spirit-empowered life today, friends. And now we're going to conclude our time with this thought. A person with a well-fed soul who is empowered by the Holy Spirit has the freedom to follow the Spirit. So let me challenge you with this question. Where is the Spirit leading you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we come before you and again, we just say we are humbled. We are humbled that you paid the price for our sins. We are humbled that your sacrifice paved the way for us to receive righteousness through faith. We are humbled that your Holy Spirit leads us to live a life of peace for ourselves and for our neighbors and for the nations. 
Holy Spirit, would you do your work in us? Oh, that we might focus our daily attention to walking in step with you, Holy Spirit. And that we might intentionally, daily, nurture our spiritual life by spending time with you in your word and dwelling with you in prayer and keeping our eyes open for opportunities to sacrificially love and serve others as you have done for us, God. Holy Spirit, we need you. God, we trust you. Jesus, we love you. Amen.